Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations and stories of ecological embodiment. Mm. I am your host and guide, Kendra Ward. Our explorations begin with this single question. What happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does it brush back against us? Here we seek an intimacy with the land and beings where we live, an intimacy that transcends language, culture, species, even consciousness. Let us come together in creative, strange, disruptive ways of relating beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreaming. By sharing experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for a new, old, earth-honoring culture to reemerge. So I am so very honored and excited to be in conversation today with a dear teacher of mine, Lori Deschar. And I am so excited to read your juicy bio, Lori. Um, <laughs> so here we go. Lori Eve Deschar is an acupuncturist, consciousness explorer, and change maker, committed to bringing the art of alchemy and soul healing back to the modern world. Hallelujah. <laughs> she has practiced Chinese medicine for four decades and is the author of Five Spirits, Alchemical Acupuncture for Psychological and Spiritual Healing, Kigo, Exploring the Spiritual Essence of Acupuncture Points Through the Changing Seasons, and her most recently published book, The Alchemy of Inner Work, A Guide for Turning Illness and Suffering into True Health and Well-Being. With her husband, astrologer and community builder, Benjamin Fox, she co-founded A New Possibility, a global healing and learning community committed to the belief that inner work is a prerequisite to any lasting outer change. And I have all of these books, they are absolute stables for me, essential guideposts. And one of the things that I love most about your work, Lori, is your, your willingness to explore sort of them what I think of as like a, the black beating shamanic heart of this medicine um, to approach every acupuncture point as a portal of consciousness stripped of protocols and like the way we want to over categorize everything and box everything up. And I, I just really love that. So I'm, I'm so grateful for you being in conversation with me today. So welcome. Thank and you, Thank yeah. you so much. And and I'm very grateful for your presence in our life and in our community and on our planet and for mm. your beautiful book, for your commitment to so many of the healing projects that are, are central and have been central, you know, for me for four decades and more, probably mm. since I was actually first found my found myself on this crazy planet and was like, what are we, what are we up to here? I feel like we're kind of soul collaborators on that. Uh -huh. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I hear you. Yes. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm so curious to know um, how you're put in place by, by where you live. Um, and just to just curious about um you know, some of the, the, the strange gods and forces and, 
and elements and uh, directions that, that put you in place there. So yeah, do tell. Well, you know, place now I think is <clears throat> such an interesting question because right now, as I speak with you, I am sitting in my sort of refuge space, which is my office in our little house in East Blue Hill on the coast of Maine, which is um, where I've written a lot of the books. Not all the writing happens here, but a lot happens here. And it happens for me out of my deep connection to this land and to this coastline <clears throat> and to um, the little islands that I kayak out to. And um, you know, I'm aware that this land isn't ours. Hmm. That's very present for me. Um, it, I mean, the, the stewards of this land were um, Pessimaquoddy Indians, um, Wabakanapki, and the, they had a confederacy called the, the People of the First Light, hmm. uh, the Dawnland Confederacy. So the various tribes here were part of that confederacy. And of course, we're down east. Um, we are actually the first light on the North America, on the continent here of, of America. I think it extends a bit further out <clears throat> in Canada, but the sun first hits the United States of America, just a bit further up the coast, the, the, the people of the dawn. That's so cool. But I, I, and I, it's kind of incredible, right? Because these people who, who were stewards of this land understood that. Hmm. Oh, the dawn land. Hmm. Yeah, I did and, not take um, that for granted. Yeah. You know, and, and ev ever since I've been really young, really little, I've, I've had this deep sense that we are living on the lands of others who've walked, who've, who've had their roots. I grew up <clears throat> on the North shore of Long Island, which at the time when I was growing up was still a bit wild. And um, <clears throat> my, my older brother, I remember, you know, he'd go up into the woods behind our house and I and he found in arrowheads. I still have a carved arrowhead um, in from those woods. And I think there's always been this sense of um, we need to somehow honor, but also heal and find our way back through the violence and through the, the, the loss. Um, you know, I'm aware of it here where I live because the spirits of this land are very, very real to me. And they, you know, I dedicated five spirits actually to the spirits of this land because that was a book that, that was downloaded to me 
as I was kayaking and through the seasons. And the same with Kiko, every point in Kiko was, it, it. I went out during that season of that element and sat by the cove and sat by the quarries and sat in the forest. And each point for me was connected to place you know, the body of place, as well as our bodies, which are bodies of place. And I really, I do feel um, that there's so much more healing that needs to be done, you know, even here, um, even here um, in this little village, because I feel, I feel the presence of others. Hmm that lived here before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm curious if you have any other stories um, or just anything else you wanted to share that relates to uh, creating a sense of intimate and embodied connection. I think I'm kind of like ongoingly on this search for for that sense of haptic wisdom, like that, that relating to touch and that, that sense of like rubbing on the place where we are. And, and it's, it feels like a challenge to, to tune into the, the, the ecological embodiment aspect of things. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that. Well, you know, it's interesting because of course I do. You know, I have things arise in me at the same time that I feel I also want to honor that we are, at the very same time that we are knowing that we're called to a deep, deep, as you say, sensory, uh, spiritualized, somatic reconnecting Hmm. to earth, to Gaia. There's also, I'm aware of this other kind of rhizomatic network that's also palpable. Mm. That's happening, you know, between you and me right now. You know, I look at you and I see, and your Shen is touching my heart through this whole other, as I say, kind of a web, or um, I think of rhizomes, or I think of kind of the tendrils under the earth that we are also building this global web of 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 lovers, really. Mm. Wow, a global web of lovers. Love you it. know, and I feel so, as say to Benjamin, you know, who my husband who and partner and alchemical challenger and whatever he is, <laughs> but I'll say, you know, our work is in the midst of the breakdown to continue to cultivate these community connections, our gardens, the people who grow some of our food, our bakers, on the very, very intimate communal level, and at the same time, continue to cultivate cultivate these global, these amazing global communities Mm -hmm. that are forming all over the planet. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, where I live is both very specific to this little garden, this little place, this little beach, this rock that looks like an eagle, that has an eye that looks back at me when I sit there, And then this vast, amazing array of people that I love 
all over the planet and and really have deep connection with in Chicago, in New Mexico, in Canada, in India, in Europe, you know, in Africa, like we are all of this connecting link that is forming. So the question of the palpability of it, I think it's it's that mesh, that network is also an extension of my nervous system now. Mm. You know, and I do continually come back to like Zoom is our, is our, that's our training wheels, you know, mm. this extended nervous system of, of, you know, virtual heart connection that's happening. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, coming down to your question of, you know, how do we deeply inform who we are through our connection, our sensory connection to her, to that, you know, the rubbing the mountain, rubbing the earth. You know, one story that comes to me whenever I come here is when I was writing Five Spirits. And I came to writing about the ye, the spirit of the earth, Mm. which, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, the ye in the character in Chinese is a picture of a heart with a musical note above it. And it's a speaking of that aspect of our being that creates our intentionality, our dedication to what we're up to. Sometimes I talk about the Yi as the prosperous farmer who goes out every day. She puts her boots on, rain or shine, you know, tends the garden, tends the garden day after day. There's a kind of humble, um, ongoing devotion that has to do with this particular aspect of the soul mm-hmm. that gets things, that moves things from idea, from vision, from possibility to manifestation formation to beingness and but when I was writing about the ye I was like you know I don't quite get what they were talking about what were they talking about what were they talking about and it was late summer you know which is the season of earth the season of the ye it's when things come to fruition you know ripening and I kayaked out to this little island that I love called darling All right, it's real name, darling, right? Oh my gosh. So I kayaked out to Darling and I'm like, okay, you know, come on now. Like, who, what, what do you have to tell me about this? And I got my kayak up on the shore and I sat on this warm, sun warmed rock and I looked out at the uh, sea lavender, which grows, the sea lavender grows between the high tide and the low tide line, needs Mm -hmm. the wash of salt water and then it needs the, sun and the low tide, you know, to, to breathe. And it was full of blossoms and the blossoms were covered with these honeybees. They were just covered with honeybees. And what I, and at that moment I got it, I got like, oh, that's the ye, that these honeybees every year, year after year, you know, that the blossoms come on the sea lavender at this time. And this recurrent coming back and then the honeybees come just at that time 
to gather the, the nectar to make the honey that they need to survive. And somehow for me, that was the essence of this. And it was just a very clear transmission from not from above, but really from her, from the from below, mm. a transmission from the earth spirit. And you know, that's that's it for me. That's that's our work, you know, whether we're touching the body with a needle mm-hmm. or whether we're gardening or whether we're looking to see what Gaia is asking of us now. It's coming from that kind. And I know that's your, that's your devotion as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To listen like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that I love the way your story, like the way it spiraled full circle, you know, to, uh, you know, the, the transmission organically appearing, you know, being available by that deep sense of presence. So that's beautiful. Now I have to look up sea lavender to get, <laughs> right. get an image. Well, you're not a coast, you're not coast. I know. Right. Yeah, so right. Like, yes. It's, yeah. And it's very specific. It's like late summers, our time. We bloom, you know, mid August, late, just as the days are getting shorter, you know, and the light shifting, and then these purple blossoms mm. start coming. Yeah. Beautiful. And that kind of is where, you know, for me at this point, if we're going to have faith, to get us through, you know, these, these, these times of extreme transformation and turbulence, you know, I, I, so I'm on the same page as you with that, that it's our rootedness in place, but place being both local and global. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a essential point for sure. So I'm, I wanted to just, for anyone who is not familiar with the term alchemical healing, because it's just, it's such the crux of your work, Lori, um, wondering if you could give a brief description of what that means to you. And also as it relates to what Gaia is asking of us at this time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it took me quite a while to say, okay, I'm actually going to take that word alchemy mm-hmm. and, you know, I never would say take ownership because it's a word that's, that's for everyone, but I guess to, to actually almost like formally say, okay, I'm married to you now. Like I, you know, you, I know that many people are married to you, but, but you are, I'm having a sacred marriage with alchemy and I'm going to make that public. Mm. Because it, it, it was a big decision because there's so many ways that alchemy is viewed or misviewed or misunderstood. And certainly, you know, we're taught in, high school, I'm sure they're still teaching that it was misguided chemistry and these crazy people who thought they could turn lead into gold, you know, and completely missing that the alchemical traditions that we find in China, that we find in Vedic medicine, in yoga, in the Kabbalah, in European mystical traditions, 
that this was a many, many centuries long, you know, thousands of years of investigation. It was, it, you can say it's on kind of epistemology, a system of knowing mm -hmm. that I've come to see as kind of spanning the time between the, the shamanic traditions, the more tribal, nomadic, um, not necessarily um, documented in, in written form, like shamanic tradition was a more verbal lineage song transmission. It was tribal, it was at, often not localized or permanently localized in a space or it might be, but there was a lot of nomadic aspects to it. When people started to settle down and begin to document, record in written form or in symbolic form, their observations, there was a, a shifting. And for me, that was the beginning of a more alchemical tradition. Like we say, alchemy happens in a laboratory as opposed to just out there in connection with nature. Hmm. The dates, I mean, it's, you could say ancient Egypt, you could say, you know, there's all kinds of ways that people date when it began, but it was more like a consciousness shift. So alchemy, I would say, spans the time of the waning of shamanic traditions and then the rising of what we call modern Western medicine. It's a long time. Mm -hmm. And so it's a big tradition. And the basic distinction between, you could say alchemy and modern science or modern chemistry was that the alchemists didn't separate spirit and matter. It was pre, before that kind of dualistic, splitting apart of domains. Mm. So alchemists, when they're talking about transformational process, the reason that an alchemist could say transformation doesn't necessarily lead to an entropic loss of energy is because we can infuse a system with spirit. Mm. So to make that you know, more real, we could say the difference between a person who's living a life in a simply material way, where spirits up there and far away, we could say we begin with a certain amount of life force chi when we're born. And basically through life, it runs down. And then we get old and people say, oh, yeah, I'm getting old, I'm getting decrepit. And, you know, I'm just, I'm dying because I've lost my chi. But the alchemists were saying, no, the other possibility is that we work with the soul forces. We continually infuse ourselves with the soul forces. And it's not that we don't age, but actually through that aging process, there's, there are losses, but there are also gains. So the idea of the sage or the wisdom holder or the elder from an alchemical perspective is someone who's continually transforming what we say in Chinese medicine, their jing, their life force, mm -hmm. so that it's not just being used up, you could say, that, that this is a negentropic way of being. Mm. So finally, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it on and talk about healing from that perspective.
that we're not just saying we're going to fix a symptom so a person can go back to where they are and keep using up their jing, but actually that each encounter with a symptom or difficulty or even a planetary disruption can be viewed from the lens, through the lens of alchemical healing as an invitation to transform. That's the, that's that pithy, you know, getting to the, the core of it. Right yes. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That's the core that if I were going to say, what's the mission of alchemical healing work that is, you know, at the core of our community of most of us engaged in this community of a new possibility of your work of the you know, of the work that's going on in the world. The idea is that we take what looks really bad, really difficult, really hard, and we say, okay, what, what, this is the lead. This is the, the alchemist used the word prima materia, the junk, the stuff. This is what we've got. How do we infuse it with a, with a kind of awareness, with a care, with a practice that can actually discover the gold that's within. Yeah. So that's, that's the work. That's the essence of my teaching in both to practitioners, but also to people in general, you know, offering that the alchemy of inner work. Our book is that we, we hope it's, we meant it to be a practical guide. Some here's how, Here's some how-tos, some things you can actually do to begin to, well, I would say to work with neg entropy in your life, to work with actually transforming. And, you know, even though um, the title transforming illness and suffering into true health and well-being, I mean, you know, it's hard to say we're going to have true health and well-being on a planet that's suffering and in so much disarray. But how can we be our most healthy? How can we be our most skillful here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a question comes to mind, um, an awareness. It feels related to what you just said. Um, I've been observing in myself, and I'm wondering if others are noticing this too, this propensity to continually want to slip into a thinking of, when things just improve, when things lighten up, when things get easier, um, like some, there's still this like sliver that just is having trouble adjusting to the current reality. Um, so just purposely bringing myself to this thought of what if this intensity, this heaviness is there the rest of my life? You know, and like really continuing to, um, ask that question over and over again. And I think that we could take this discourse to the idea of climate change as well. So how does the, how does the shape of grief form in me accepting that these harms to the planet don't stop, you know, in, in, in my, in this way, in my life. Um, And how will I live in my body, not grasping for some way out, you know, some, something else. So, um, yeah, just hoping you could speak. I, I, I really appreciate you speaking that, Kendra. 
because I, I, as you know, I mean, we've had other conversations and I feel it's very important for those words to be spoken that, you know, it's not about, okay, how are we going to come up with some plan to fix this? Because I think at this point, it's gotten bigger than what our rational minds or our present consciousness, you know, our dualistic, rational thinking, mental consciousness, this has gone beyond mm. the, the, the scope of the complexity of the challenge is really asking us to step into a completely different consciousness. Which is not, I mean, and I don't make it too far out here, but uh, my, my sense of the invitation is that we really step beyond even thinking in time as we know it, like it could get better or in 30 years, it will look like this. We don't know what it's going to look like. And we don't even know what the possible vectors of, of good, of positive intervention may be. So I think what I would say in response to your question is that what I've learned, and I, and I sense we're on the same page with this, that if we begin to honor the earth spirits, if we begin to look at an embodied kind of divinity rather than some up there, out there savior that's going to come along and somehow fix this mess. Mm -hmm. You know, our work is to then begin to learn to navigate and to find refuge. And I'm not even going to use the word stability to learn to navigate within turbulence. Yeah. You know, and I think the way that we do that is, as you've said, by, uh, by descending, by being willing to, to bear certain kinds of dismemberment of our sense of the reality, even of mm -hmm. our sense of, you know, what we can expect, what we can plan. And that's really big. That's a really big ask for us humans. Hmm. Yeah, it sure is. I find it is a forgetting and remembering. I mean, there's so much that takes that spiral dance, but it's, I find within myself, it's just that repeating, forgetting and remembering of, of that. Um, yes. And, and, and offering each other the tools and the skills that we are each learning along the way. You know, we're, you know, we're like, I think as we're almost stepping into this terrain, like, okay, you know, how do we live in turbulence? How do we live in uncertainty? How do we do that? Um, and, you know, there's a lot, I think that that's another reason why alchemy has been so important to me. The, one of the really central ideas in all the alchemical traditions is that chaos can be fertile. 
that in fact, any true transformation goes through a phase where everything dissolves. Mm. If we cannot somehow bear that dissolution, then we're just going to keep running back to these old encrusted, you know, rigid structures that are killing us Mm -hmm. and killing the planet. Yeah. So the people that I, you know, want to hang out with, that I want to listen to, that I want to converse with, like this conversation, but, you know, other wonderful people who are having these conversations are really looking at how do we do this differently? You know, without resorting to blame, hatred, okay, everyone else has got an AK-47, maybe I've got to get an AK-47. I mean, that's just, that's very, a kind of thinking, a kind of being that we can say, okay, you know, that's present on the planet, but I'm going to consciously choose not to participate in that particular vibration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bayo, and I know, you know, Bayo Akamalafi's work, and I know, you know, he's one of my guides in this lifetime, and I cherish his being, you know, one of the, um, things he threw out at a, at a meeting that I was at was he said, you know, what if we shift our whole way of being and say, you know, death is not the enemy. You know, what if we say death is safe? Mm. And that so resonated for me because of all the work that, as you know, I've done around understanding not understanding, but honoring the domain of the dark goddess, mm-hmm. the domain of Shiva, of Ziwang Mu, of Pele, of these potent underworld, you know, goddesses of the depths, mm-hmm. who, you know, are the ones who are, you know, hold dominion over life, death, and rebirth. And, you know, I feel that she is the one who's been the most marginalized and demonized by mental consciousness, or if we're going to use the word patriarchal systems, because she is ultimately the one who has the ultimate power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because no matter how much money we accumulate and how much, you know, how many corporations we run and how many institutions we control in the, at the end of the day, you know, death waits for each of us. She is the one in, you know, we and our lives in her arms. Mm-hmm. So that holding that, what Bayo said and holding my, you know, my reverence for that dark goddess as kind of the, 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 the guide and the deity that we most need to honor right now, it allows a certain breathing room. Hmm. As, as difficult as it is to open to it. 
Yeah. That's a really, um, like just your choice of, of words there feels really potent. Even those words of it allows a certain breathing room feels like it's like pushing. I don't know. I get the sense of edginess, you know, like, um, the sense of feeling into pushing back on the structures and the boundaries. And, um, it just feels particularly, uh, like I could sit with those words for quite a while. Um, you know, even what you're saying, it's sort of for me anyway, because I spent so many years of my life, all my twenties and you know, okay, we got to fix this. We got to fix this. We've got to shut down the nuclear power plants. We've got to, digit, you know, so much pressure. And, you know, even becoming a practitioner of Chinese medicine, it's like, okay, you know, we've got to do this healing. We've got to get this new content. And finally, now being able to say, you know, we're part of much larger process here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that allows, I think is what allows me to go on really, to not give up hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that, the, the continued memory of time frames that are not understandable to our, our human minds, um, that there's, there's, you know, much more beyond what is right here in front of us. So, um, and just like the, the continued, I mean, I, this embracing of our homelessness, um, you know, the, the ways in which we're it lost, um, but also that that is, I don't, to, I don't know, if it, maybe it is what's required in this moment. Um, so I'm feeling into bios, um, the term bioacamalafe and, and others, you know, I hear this term of fugitivity um, just circling around frequently. And I'm curious, you know, how you relate to this word, how, especially in the sense of like choosing to not participate in the systems as they are, yeah. becoming a fugitive from these systems. And, um, yeah, just wondering what that what that means to you. I love that you brought that word into our conversation. Um, I I have a lot of resonance to the idea of fugitivity. Um, I think you just take a minute with that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> At the, at the root of all of the work that I've been doing for the past decades and decades and moving forward now, you know, in, into my, this is, I've just entered my 70s. So I just turned 70. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm looking at this, that be, time becomes, has a very different quality. You know, what do I want to do with these years now? So, you know, I'm still in the treatment room. I, 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 a little bit, you know, cause I have to have my hands on the needles and I, a lot of my work is virtual, but if I think, okay, what am I really, where's my heart desire as far as what I'm up to? Mm-hmm. And it really is at this point, 
being part of midwifing what I see as a new human, new way of being human, a new way. I wouldn't even say being human, a new way of being. Mm. And, uh, you know, that there is a consciousness that is non-dual, that is multidimensional, that is atemporal, that, that really sees, not just talks about, but is living in a world where spirit and matter are truly again intertwined, you know, that, that the diaphaneity of matter mm. becomes real to us. And that has been an organizing principle for me. The, the, the passion I feel for Chinese medicine isn't about, I mean, it's wonderful to alleviate pain. It's wonderful to support, you know, turning a baby that's transverse. I mean, there's so many exciting things we can do with alternative medicine, with needles, you know, with all the work. But the real key passion for me is about how it messes with our minds and opens us to the reality that we are energy beings. Hmm. You know, you feel chi move through you and you, you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, that's, that's, that transforms a person. Yeah. And then that begins to open us to a very different way of being. So, you know, whatever we call this new consciousness that, you know, it's bubbling up all over, you know, in these questions about gender and these questions about, you know, rhizomatic connections in these questions about who are we as, you know, brown, black, white, what does that even mean anymore? So many things that are being called into question, even as there's this extreme pullback to a fundamentalist, regressive, um, kind of institutionalizing of whether you call it, you know, white supremacy or patriarchy, but underneath there's this rising up a kind of emergent consciousness. And I feel like that is my work. So what I think I'm beginning to understand for myself about fugitivity is that it's a matter of leaving the plantation of modernity, of colonialism, of patriarchal consciousness, which really has enslaved us in a certain way. But that leaving that place is not easy. It's not simple. It takes the same kind of courage, the same real um, willingness to let go of what is familiar and step into a new land, a different way of being. And it's a moment to moment thing. As I said earlier, it, you know, it means not getting caught up in the dualistic, you know, those, those people over there are the enemy or it's this person's fault. Or if I do it this way, this familiar way, it means really being able to travel in a different land, mm -hmm. moment to moment, and cultivating those kinds of connections, those communities, you know, where we can have these conversations.
mm-hmm. as, as fugitives from a system that really is killing us, that's killing us and killing the planet. And I think in a way coming full circle, that to me is what alchemical healing is all about now. Mm. Yeah, pulling it back in. I have the sense as you were speaking of um, like pathways, almost like highways. And and when you're talking about the emergence quality, it has this sense of almost the way that mushrooms like just emerge out of nowhere and like it pushes everything else in its path away. And just, you know, had this image in my mind as you were speaking um, that was really potent. So I just want to say, I love that image because it brings us back to the earlier conversation about our somatic connection to the mm-hmm. earth as a way as a way of moving now you know, yeah yeah rubbing the mountain throwing thunder <laughs> <laughs> well laurie is there any are there do you have any particular events or teachings or anything else coming up that you wanted to um tell everyone about or maybe just speaking to what the new possibility community is you've you've hinted on what it's about for sure um but just wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to that a little bit more thanks Kendra yeah um I mean I am very committed to continuing I we are currently in the midst of a mentorship for practitioners. It's very exciting. So continuing to support healers in learning the tools to support people, humans um, in living differently for themselves and in relationship to the earth Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and moving through turbulence in skillful ways. So that's a big piece of my work. I am engaged in a writing project again that I'm kind of excited about working with, focused on a number of different things, including field dynamics in therapeutic environments, but also the post-soul, which is the body-soul and and bringing the post-soul back to her proper place as as, um, one of our deities, one of the places where spirit lives in the body. And then, of course, as you know, we, Benjamin and I uh, cultivate, hold, we garden a new possibility, which is our community. And um, we love people coming in. We love welcoming new people to that community. So if anyone out there listening is touched or wants more or would like to join our conversations and um, find out more. And Kendra, we love your presence in that community. So I feel like we are kind of co-inspiring each other, but we we welcome more. We, we welcome more searchers and people looking for different ways of being. Um, it's a new possibility.com. Please take a look. Let us know if it's we if there's any reason why you're feeling you can't join, whether it's financial or for any other reason, contact us because we, anyone who wants to be in it, we want you there. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's our community. And it's a pretty dynamic platform of people living, willing to live on the edge and and talk about what's real. 
yeah. and how, how to live skillfully within these realities. Yeah, I would say that just the level of support in navigating and, and having, um, like feeling into the complexity and the intelligence of our hearts, like just fantastic conversations about everything that's happening so that we feel just a little bit more cracked open. Um, like that was an experience I had recently uh, where there was something that had been happening and I realized I, I couldn't go there. Um, and in, in um, meeting with the community that was like, by the end, I could feel how I was cracked open enough to start to, you know, because at, at different times in, our, in the week or in the day or in our lives, you know, we have, we're, we're moving between boundaries and feelings and our, and our ability in that moment to feel what we can feel. And I just, so, um, just that, per, you know, just this happened really recently, that experience of just being cracked open in a supported, loving environment, um, you know, is just, uh, so needed at this time. So, um, and, you know, to, to just kind of add to what you just said, I, and, and maybe as a way to wrap up our whole conversation mm -hmm. is that it's clear to me that none of us can do this alone. Yeah. We're not meant to do this alone. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the era of the hero's journey who does it alone, you know, with his sword, gung ho, slay the dragon. And that was important. And it's still an archetype that lives in us, but I feel like the emergent archetype is one of individuals with their own particularity in community. Yeah. yeah, And those communities are sprouting up, as you say, like mushrooms out of this underlying Gaia intelligence, because I do believe this is what she's asking of us to learn to live differently, including to live within communities. Mm. Yes. Human yeah. and more than human. Exactly. Yeah, we are entangled. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for just for all of it, for how you're spending your life's energy, and just that this so many um, patients and um, through your mentoring and your teaching. I mean, just the so many lives that you continue to to change and touch and love on. Um, so I'm just I'm so grateful and grateful for this conversation and well, um, me too Kendra because what a treat to just hang out with you yeah I loved it yeah <laughs> we'll do it again that sounds great well thank great. you everyone so much gratitude to everyone listening and just for for spending your time with us and for being willing to sit in the trouble with us for being willing to struggle against your edges a bit as we find new ways of submerging ourselves in this great wild earth our love for this great wild earth so bye for now <laughs>